Bonjour. Como oye? Muy bien. Amen. Gracias, Jay. Amen. Um, I am Ryan. Nice to meet you all. Um, and I'm going to be sharing this morning about uh, the work that um, Stephanie and I have done in Haiti and really what just God has taught us in this journey. Um, but before we start, I just want to open up with a prayer. Uh, so God, we just say thank you for um, gathering us all here together this morning. Um, God, I pray that, that we'll all be able to step back and let your Holy Spirit just invade our lives. Um, Father, speak to me and through me um, and to all of us. And God, we just pray for your presence. We ask for your presence to be here this morning. Um, yeah, God, we just need you to be here. And we thank you for what you do in our lives and what you do around the world. Amen. Okay, so some of you may know me um, from doing construction work around the church, um, but believe it or not, before I did that, um, Stephanie and I called ourselves missionaries. It's been a long time since we've been able to call ourselves that, really, because COVID. Because COVID. Um, we haven't been able to go down to Haiti for over a year now, um, and the longest time before then that we weren't able to go to Haiti was about three months um, so just in December, we hit 10 years in Haiti. Um, we lived in Haiti for six years, um, full time. And then we had to come to the States and around four years ago, um, and we spent about half our time just constantly going back and forth. We're really trying to grow the nonprofit and sustain the now 50 staff that we have down on the Island. I'm working in four cities and ministering in over dozens of villages literally across both sides of the island. Um, and so they do all the work, and we're here to support them, and we can't be there and do both. Um, so that's why we live very complicated lives. Um, <clears throat> so this morning I want to share to you a little bit about what I've learned in this journey um, and really how we, me specifically, have done all things wrong and how God has taught me in that journey um, to do things his way, which is really kind of just upside down to our way of thinking. Um, so as I was sitting and reflecting um, on this talk, and I've been just thinking about this since I think April when, when Robert asked me, um, and I really should have listened to Steph when she told me like two months ago, because um, you're always right. Um, there are so many things in common, and I just was not seeing it until just the last few days, so thank you. Um, but I think as Americans, we all want to do big things, especially me. When I was a child, I mean, I, who I wanted to be when I grew up involved wearing a cape. Um, my brother would have like a suitcase, and he had a suit, and he would like walk around, and we'd get in our little toy car, and I had a cape, and I was like jumping over the car and off of the swing sets and stuff. Um, and that's who I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be a superhero, basically. Um, and I think so many of us do want to have that grand life. We just want to be big. That's just our culture. That's what we love. Um, and we all want to do big things. And when we're young, it seems really easy, right? I can just do whatever I want to because I don't think about eating or sleeping or taking care of a house because parents tell you when to go to bed, they feed you, they put food on your plate. Depending on your household, you clean your plate or you don't. Um, I clean my plate, but barely. And then life is just simple. But you grow up and you realize it kind of takes a little bit more work to get things done. It takes a little bit more work to just live, to just 
exist to be. Um, and life just is hard. Starting a business is complicated and difficult. Um, having healthy, functional adult human relationships is complicated and difficult. Um, and we oftentimes pat ourselves on the back because we've got a great relationship with our dog or cat. That doesn't count. I'm sorry. Adult relationships are difficult. Um, and life is just hard sometimes. Even brushing his, your teeth can just be so monotonous and seem like it takes forever. Um, and we just kind of lose hope to do the big things in life. Um, what we wanted to do just gets sucked out with the eternal vacuum of monotony that is called culture sometimes, right? Maybe not for you guys, just for me. Okay. Um, I think sometimes life just gets the best of us. And it's just hard to exist. Um, and then we look at the life of Jesus, and everything he did was just so simple. Um, and if you talk to theologians, he was the most complicated person. He was the most simple person. Nobody knows. But he was very simple. The things that he did were countercultural. They were opposite. They were backwards, it seems. Um, the Jews wanted this king to come in on a white horse and to just destroy their opposition. They wanted David 2.0, the $6 million man. Um, but Jesus came in, and he changed the course of eternity through random interactions, through interjections in other people's conversations, through nonverbal communication, through touch, through just random action, it seems, to us at least. Um, and it really is kind of odd how he did things. But if we think about it, it's really the small things in life, um, the seeds that grow up that nobody seems to be watching, like from this um, gospel in Mark, um, that just seems totally irrelevant. What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? Basically, he's saying there's a seed, and then things grow up, and nobody notices until somebody cuts it down, right? That's pretty much what he's saying. Um, that's kind of true of life. There are big things that just come out of nowhere with the small daily interactions. Mount Everest was created by the Indian and the Eurasian tectonic plates just crashing into each other slowly over a large amount of time, which we will not discuss this morning. Canyons like the Grand Canyon are carved by drops of water or by rivers or even streams running through them over time. Even the giant sequoia, um, Great General Sherman in California, which is 36 feet wide, um, which is, I think, larger than from here to past the rail, and 270 feet tall, comes from a seed the size of a coffee bean, from half of a coffee bean. Um, these amazing, enormous things come out of these tiny little packages over time. And in our culture, we just overlook that. It's seemingly insignificant. Um, but Jesus says, basically, that's not true. Let me show you why. Um, so when I was a kid, one of my favorite books that I read was Andy Stanley's The Traveler's Gift. And one of the things I took away from it, he basically said, every decision you ever make creates the person you will become. Everything you ever do, every little tiny decision sets you on a course, one way or another, good or bad, plus or minus. Do I drink coffee this morning? Do I drink two cups or three cups? Do I drink none? Do I eat a hamburger or a cheeseburger or a salad? 
do I say hi to this person or do I not? Do I stand four feet away from this person or six feet away from this person? Do I wear a mask or do I not wear a mask? The little decisions that we take every single day make a difference. Um, and uh, that was so impactful for me. And so when we began our journey, and I've been reflecting on this over the years, um, I really was humbled by our time in Haiti. And if you look at perceived power, okay, so just across the globe, what do people, what type of person, I should say, do people think carry the most power? Um, and in studies across the world, the answer is generally or almost exclusively a white, educated, upper-class American male. And so going to Haiti and coming from an upper-middle-class family, I fit that descriptor. I didn't really feel like I fit that descriptor, but I did. And that was um, so difficult for me because there were expectations on me of power that I did not feel that I had. Um, and I've always wanted to be the person that does the big things, that creates movements, that innovates, that creates, that inspires, that creates technologies that change the world. I wanted to go to Haiti and invent some sort of technology that would make life so much easier for people, that would make things so much less difficult, that would be just this problem that nobody had looked at. And I didn't want to go in and be the hero. I didn't go to Haiti thinking, I'm going to save or I'm going to fix. I, I knew innately that I couldn't do that. But I had that expectation. Why did I have that expectation? Captain America. Thank you, Captain America. <laughs> Movies, television, our culture revolves around ethnocentrism. And I knew cognitively that I am not, cannot, should not be the hero. I know that Jesus is the hero and I cannot be. But our culture paints a different picture. It created this picture of Captain America, the great American hero going abroad to save. Um, and boy, was I wrong. Because turns out life in Haiti is very difficult. Is it not, Yvette? Yeah, life living, life, just day-to-day -day interactions, day-to-day -day living is difficult in Haiti. So we get to Haiti, and I don't have time to do all these big things that I wanted to do, because you know why? It takes a lot longer to wash your clothes by hand than it does in a washing machine, especially when you don't even have water. So we go to the well, we go to the stream, we get water to wash our clothes by hand and then let it dry in the shade or the sun if we can even find it. And then we put on our clothes afterwards and it's just this stiff cardboard box that looks like it's been sprayed with dust-colored starch. And there's a day right there. And we spend all day just trying to do the, the things to live that take up so much more time than we've ever thought. And I, I guess I should have thought in advance how much time it takes to do things in Haiti, but how could we know? There's no way we could know. There's no way we could know what life looks like in another culture, how it's so difficult to just be, exist, to live in another country. And so we're trying to cook meals without any technology at all, no blenders. Sometimes we can't even find a cutting board. So you're cutting onions in your hand, trying to not chop yourself and put you know, bloody onion soup in there. That doesn't taste good. Um, that's only good for oranges for some reason. And so 
we're trying to cook, we don't even have a fridge, and so we're going to the market every day. We're showering with frigid cold water, which seems like it would be relaxing, but by the time nighttime comes around, you're already cool off, and there's no water pressure, and you literally have tadpoles coming out of your tap. It doesn't feel great, and it's hard to get clean, and you're going to bed with a headlamp on because your electricity ran out about 6 o'clock like it does every day because you work in a mission house, and you've got dozens of people that you don't know living in your house, and life is just difficult. And as we've looked back on our journey, we've probably estimated that we've lived in a tent probably six to nine months of our time in Haiti, wouldn't you say? Or more. Um, and those tents have been inside a house with another couple living in another tent in the same bedroom. And then a Swedish family came to live with us for some reason, and they got the bedroom. And so we put our tents outside on the ground, and there were roosters pecking on the side of our tent and dogs scratching us and barking at us at four or five in the morning. And we're outside in Haiti, and we didn't speak the language because it was literally our first trip ever, and we had only been there for two weeks, and we didn't even have luggage yet, and life is difficult. And then we go to Port-au-Prince, and we're sleeping in a tent on top of a concrete roof in a slum during a heat wave. And it's literally so hot. You guys know the self-inflating mattresses um, that you take when you go camping, and they're soup, they roll up really small, and then you open it up and unscrew the valve, and it just expands. It is so hot, you guys, that the glue in our mattresses melted, and the thing is just a balloon. I'm not even kidding you. So we slept on these two balloons, and we had to open up the valve so when we lay down in it, we'd lay down and our feet would shoot up because it was like an air mattress that was unbalanced. And then eventually over the night, it would deflate so much that basically just our head was a little bit off the ground, and we'd like put a sock underneath it. Um, but also it was the rainy season, and so we would just get drenched every night. And we're on a concrete roof, and so it floods. And so we wake up and we're soaking wet. But guess what? It's so blistering hot that all of our stuff is dry by the middle of the day, so it's very convenient. <clears throat> and so life is difficult, and these big dreams that we had just were so difficult to achieve. And somewhere in the sacrificing and living in Haiti, after about five years, it's been 10 years since last December that we've been in Haiti, after about five years, we realized, or at least I realized, hey, I'm doing everything wrong. <laughs> That's a great realization when you've been giving something to, you know, full-time for about five years, and you sold your car and your bank account to go and do missions, and you realize, I've been doing this wrong for five years. Um, so if you guys go into missions, I'll give you some advice. Um, missions is not projects. There you go. Um, just save you about five years of missions. Okay, so as this young 20-something married couple, um, we've realized that these big changes that we wanted to create are difficult. They're hard. They're almost impossible. Um, and then we realized that's not the way of God. The way of God is like this parable, the mustard seed. We glance over this because we've heard it a million times, and it seems to fit this one context of the kingdom of God. Um, but it's so much more. It's, it's kudzu. It overlaps everything, and nobody even knows what a kudzu seed is or looks like. And if you think you know, you have no idea, because nobody can know. It's impossible. They just come out of nowhere, and it just encases everything with these vines. Um, and Jesus is like that. His kingdom is upside down. This kingdom that Jesus created is where God, the creator of all eternity and everything good and bad, well, not bad, but everything good and everything perpetual and eternal, 
um, makes himself into a little brown baby and a refugee to a poor family in an extremely hot and hostile occupied territory. And then in this upside down kingdom, this baby grows up to do manual labor and is forced to work all day just to survive. <clears throat> and then when he starts his ministry, he leaves his home to become a homeless voyager who chooses 12 of the most selfish, egotistical, short-sighted, incompetent men that he can find, right? Let's be honest. Um, and some women who seems to society unworthy um, to be equals as women in society. And they were worthless in society. And he let them follow him to places that were seemingly irrelevant and they absolutely didn't want to go. And then he shares stories that are seemingly so random that they still leave people scratching their heads 2,000 years later. I mean, what is the story of the seed that just grows up and nobody notices it, and then one day we cut it down? We still are scratching our heads at the things that Jesus told us. And then he chooses to, chooses to allow himself to be killed by the enemy that he subjugated himself to um, in the time and place that he chose to be born into, to the most brutal military regime in history. Um, and after all of that, he leaves this most important work of sharing the saving message of humanity to um, the best thing I could say, you know, Home Alone, uh, Kevin's older sister, Les Incompetents. <clears throat> and so believe it or not, this portrayal of Jesus, um, his life from the perspective of a missionary is so relieving. It, when you think about it this way, you're like, Thank you. And I'm sure you guys feel this way too. Um, when you think about the Jesus that did things in the simple opposite small ways, we're like, okay, great. We can, we can try to do the little things. Um, and so if you boil it all down, what Jesus said was the most important thing was, if you love God, obey his commands. That's easy until you think about, well, his commands is basically all of the Bible and everything that he ever did. And then John said that there's no amount of books that can contain all the things that he did, so that doesn't make it easy. And then we're supposed to love people, and then it just gets complicated again. But if we go back to Jesus, it gets simple again. And so here I am in Haiti, and I realize I'm not loving people. I'm trying to fix them. I didn't realize it. It's in our culture. It's in our DNA. It's the expectation that I had to be in that narrative, even though cognitively it never crosses my mind. Um, and I'm trying to save them from these difficult circumstances. And I realize not only can I not save them, I can't even save myself. Not only can I not make life more easy on them, they're making life more easy on me by literally washing our clothes, um, by literally washing our undergarments, by literally taking care of us at all times, holding our hands like the little babies that we are because we were, we were les incompetents. We couldn't do anything. And so this bottom-up approach is the opposite of what we think of as missions, as what's right in society. This government approach, go in, build bridges and infrastructures and create power plants and create infrastructure that will help and save. It doesn't work. Why? Because it's not what's needed. This um, go in matching T-shirts and paint an orphanage or a school because for some reason they've never thought to paint it or they can't paint it. It's not true. They can paint it. Maybe they won't want to. Maybe it's the not, not the most important thing for them. And also, they're better at painting than we are. So there's that. Why? Because we're not professional painters, okay, guys? Um, 
And so um, working in this post-evangelized nation, similar to Rwanda was fully evangelized to by 1990, four years prior to the genocide. Let that sit in your brain. Um, and people are watching me and judging my behavior according to their perceptions of white Christian American male. And they're judging their perceptions of my beliefs. And I realize I've let them down for five years doing what I thought was important, doing what I thought was what I was supposed to do to this, according to this narrative that we've been painted by culture. And after so long of this approach and then realizing it's not working, um, and after hearing, you know, Haitians are brutally honest, are they not, Yvette? Um, and hearing so many times, Ryan, you don't love Haiti. Ryan, you don't trust me. Um, I got tired of that, and I realized that's true. There's a part of that, at least, that's true. If I didn't love Haiti, I wouldn't be here. But there's a part of it that's true because I'm trying to change it and fix it, even subconsciously, when that's not what they need. They're asking to be seen. They're asking to be heard. They're asking to be equals. They're asking to be partners in the development of the world. And how can they do so if, if mighty nations like the United States are saying to little Israel, like Egypt, you're worthless. Who are you? You're nothing. If our leadership can say your country is garbage, how does that make them feel? How does that empower the world to stand up on their own feet? So this upside-down kingdom of God is really the only one that works. This mustard seed, this kudzu, this sequoia seed that grows up from this little tiny grain to become just this massive anomaly of a, of a tree um, is God's way to get things done. Jesus works from the inside out. He works from the bottom up. He builds the foundation and then he works his way up. He focuses on people and doesn't care about the buildings. He cares about Haitians just as much, if not more, than he cares about Americans. Why? Because he cares about the vulnerable, the needy, and the destitute. Jesus, his ministry was, I see you. I'm touching you, even though you've never been touched. And culture says you can't be touched. I'm spitting on the Sabbath. I hear you. I believe you. You're not alone. You're not my enemy. You're not my people's enemies. You're not God's enemy. This way of Jesus is backwards. It's upside down. 